This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. As we gather today, of course, this is a holiday weekend. A lot of people are in, a lot of people are out because we celebrate. And as Aaron mentioned in his devotional time, his reflection time, we should celebrate the freedom of our country. But as he also said, it's not freedom to do whatever we want to do. It's freedom to give God glory. It's freedom to worship him and to honor him. Freedom to share his message and to share his love. And so, yes, as Aaron said, it is right to celebrate, to rejoice, and to salute our flag, not because our total allegiance belongs to America, but because God is our ultimate king. And as Americans, we should love him and honor him in this place. Because I'll tell you what, we've got issues going on, don't we? There are things happening in this country that are disturbing, upsetting, and quite frankly, I've been around the sun a few times, there's not a lot of newness in that itself. It's just that the stripes have changed on these animals that are scratching at our door. They're getting more intense and more difficult. We've been going through the book of Revelation We've been looking at what the rest of the story is going to be like as God will one day culminate human history. As he will bring the curtain down on human history and and then move us into eternity. And again, some parts of Revelation are very encouraging. Other parts of Revelation are very, very difficult. Last week, we looked at Revelation chapter 13. And we took a very detailed look at individuals that are going to be coming on the scene one day. The Antichrist and the false prophet. And we got a glimpse of the tyranny that will prevail in the world at that time. The tyranny of the culmination of all Gentile power and politics will be embodied in this individual who will be empowered by Satan, counterfeiting Christ. And by his side will be a prophet preaching lies and deceit. They will set up a system where everybody will be, will be in, enslaved to them economically, spiritually. It is a very difficult and dark chapter. You know, when I look at our country today, and as I think of the celebration of Independence Day on Tuesday... Oftentimes we call that the war of independence that we celebrate or the revolutionary war, the birth of our nation. And I don't know about you, but I'm very happy to be an American. This country has been a mess. It has its problems. It's not always lived up to its ideals, but the ideals are sound. I praise God that I was born and raised in this country. And I appreciate Aaron reminding me of what freedom really is. When I think of the Revolutionary War, the War of Independence, it was actually also a war of resistance. Because during our colonial period, we were under the thumb of the British monarch, King George III. And the longer this country was existing as a British colony, it was becoming more and more persecuted by that government. Americans, even though at the time they were British subjects, were not well thought of by the British subjects that were considered their cousins. And as time went, the the tyranny of the British monarchy became more and more evident until finally the American people had had enough. And they began to resist that tyranny. They began to say, no, we want freedom. And understand this, they understood the actual meaning of freedom back in those days. But they wanted to be out from under that tyranny. To be able to live freely before God 
and with their fellow human being. So when they put forth the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776, and then when the shot was fired that was heard round the world, it was a resistance to tyranny. And that's what that war was about. Now, I'm a historian. I love history, any kind of history. I, I devour it. I think it's fascinating. For lack of a better reason, and this might sound cliche, it is his story. It is God working through humanity, working in humanity, dealing with humanity. And as you read history, it seems like history is strung together by one war after another, by one conflict after another. And in our nation's history, we have many wars. We had Memorial Day celebrations back a couple of months ago. And we went through the litany of conflict that our nation has been involved in and the price that has been paid in each one of those conflicts to secure our freedom. But I'll tell you this, each one of those conflicts was a conflict of resistance. Resistance. Resistance to tyranny. Resistance to something that is not right. Well, as we look ahead, we see that in Revelation. But this has been part of our our history, not only our history, but other nations in the world. I think we see the culmination some 80 years ago in World War II when a cancer called Nazism, fascism, was seeking to invade the world at that time under the auspices of Adolf Hitler, who many believe, and I agree, was a dry run for what the Antichrist is going to be like. Europe was beginning to be overrun Hitler had taken many of the nations, and in 1940, he captured Paris, and France came under the rule of the Nazis. And under the Nazis, they established a government, the Vichy government. Marsha Patton, who was a World War I hero, collaborated and colluded with the Nazi leadership and set up a puppet government. And it became difficult in France to live. There was no freedom. And especially if you were Jewish or if you were of another race or if you had a physical defect, you came under tremendous persecution. And in 1940, liberation was a long way away. The Allied forces had not yet begun to move in Europe yet. They were still battling in Africa and in, in, the, in, in the Asian theater against Japan. Imagine being a Frenchman in that day. By the way, our American Revolution was won thanks to the help of the French. And when they were in need, the United States stepped in to help them. But until that time, in 1940, at 6 p.m. on the 18th of June in 1940, a relatively unknown French two-star general... Charles de Gaulle composed himself in front of a microphone at the BBC Broadcasting House in London, and he began a six-minute speech. And in that speech, he called on the free French, those who would not submit to the Vichy collaborative government, called upon him to do what Americans had done just a century and so before, to rise up against tyranny. He called on shopkeepers and farmers, mill workers, factory workers, the young and the old to rise up against the cancer of Nazism, to resist the tyranny, to say no. There was no free French army at the time. And what French army there was was already co-opted by the Vichy's who were co-opted by the Nazis. It was a dark and difficult time, and here was this unknown man at the time putting out a plea from another country, calling on the people to resist. As we move into chapter 14 from chapter 13, chapter 13 again speaks of the resistance, or excuse me, speaks of the difficult tyranny under the Antichrist. And as you read that, it's, it, it, it just sounds frightening. It will be a dark time in the future. 
We don't even understand. Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Mao, all of these dictators who have come before, even the ones that exist in the world today, are nothing, nothing compared to what is coming. As we read of the Antichrist and as we see him mentioned throughout Scripture, he makes Adolf Hitler look like a Sunday school teacher. It's going to be a difficult time, and it was difficult to preach, difficult to read. But as we move into chapter 14 this morning, we see again hope. This is what I love about how God laid out Revelation. In Revelation, there are periods of difficulty and drama as we read it, but then God will insert a, a, a message of hope. Something we can look forward to, something we can hang on to, and that's what he does in chapter 14. Because during this dark time under the tyranny of Antichrist, of Antichrist there will be a holy resistance. There will be those who have been chosen and who raise up and say, no, we will not diminish our God. We will stand up for truth and righteousness. We will stand up for our ultimate king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bible, join me in chapter 14, and we're going to see this holy resistance this morning. Now, we've already looked at him before in chapter 7. And again, like much of Revelation, this group has always confused people. This, again, is the 144,000 that are going to be marked off for service and for evangelism during this difficult time. In Revelation chapter 7, we see God marking them off at the beginning of this period that is called the tribulation period. After God has removed his spirit and taken with him the church, and as God now begins to judge the Gentiles and the Jewish nations who have rejected Christ. However, as always, God does not completely turn his back because he raises up a Jewish remnant. 144,000 men from all the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, as they're described in chapter 7. We'll see a further description later in this chapter of these individuals. But he raises them up. Notice it says in chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then I, John, now we just come off the tyranny of the Antichrist. This is going on. The world is going to be turned upside down in darkness. But then I looked and behold, a lamb. We know who that is, don't we? the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, a lamb standing on Mount Zion. Mount Zion is one of the hills that Jerusalem is built upon. And in the midst of all this horror, in the midst of all this, this terror, there's God, there's Christ standing in Jerusalem on the Mount of Zion. And notice it says, with him 144,000 having his Father's name written on their foreheads. This is significant because back in chapter 13, notice that it talked about a mark that the, that the Antichrist will require. If you're going to do business during the latter half of the tribulation period under the, under the tyranny of the Antichrist, those who are alive will be compelled to take a mark. It's been called the mark of the beast. On the right hand and on the forehead, and without it, you will not be able to sell. You will not be able to buy. You will be out, not be able to, to do anything. And for centuries, people have tried to interpret that, and, and, and I don't think we can get it specifically accurate right now. I believe God made it vague on purpose. Otherwise, we'd be chasing after individuals, and we have done that for centuries. But that mark will say, you reject God, you accept the tyranny of the Antichrist. Just like this, if this were 1943 and somebody walked in the back room with a swastika on his or her arm, that was a sign that they had acquiesced to the Nazi tyranny. According to Revelation, if someone has taken that mark, they have rejected Christ. Just think of those during that time who will not take that mark, who will not acquiesce to the Antichrist tyranny. They will be persecuted. They will go without. They will struggle. They will suffer. Ah, but God has a holy resistance that rises up. 
As we move now into the latter half of the tribulation period, the 144,000 is seen again. Notice that they are standing with Christ. That's not just a physical description of their location. That is also their philosophical and emotional stance. Instead of bowing to this demonic dictator, they are standing with the Savior. Standing with the Lamb. Standing with Christ. Fully fully aligned with Him. In allegiance with Him. We celebrate the birth of America this week, and I'm excited about it. I love our country. My father served our country in uniform, and were it not for my bad eyes, I would have done the same thing. I have no problem being an American. Again, not a perfect country. I don't know any of them that are. But if I had to pick all the ones in the world to live in, I'm glad I'm here. Amen? But my ultimate allegiance, my ultimate citizenship is in heaven. Christ is my king. That's what Paul said. He was a good Jew. He loved Israel, but he said, my ultimate allegiance, my ultimate citizenship is in heaven. Standing for Christ doesn't just mean standing up and holding a sign or wearing a t-shirt. Standing for Christ means that politically, philosophy, philosophically rather, emotionally, in every other way, I stand with him. And that's what this 144,000 will do. They will stand with Jesus in spite of persecution, in spite of difficulty, in spite of all the terror going on around them. They stood with the Lamb on Mount Zion, right where they could be seen. They weren't secret service Christians hiding their faith under their coat or as the, as the culture would demand, leaving it and keeping it to yourself. Do you know our Christian gospel was never meant to be kept to ourselves? It's good news. That's what the word gospel means. Evangelizomai in the Greek. It means good news. How many of you keep good news to yourself? Some of you don't keep bad news to yourself. But how many keep good news to yourself? They stood with Christ. Let me ask you a question, church. Are we standing with Christ today? Or are we sitting in the corner watching the world go by? Are we sitting in our building, singing our songs and having our cupcakes and while the world deteriorates around us? God raised up a holy resistance. They had allegiance to Christ. And they were marked off by Christ. Again, that's a literal understanding. Notice it says in chapter 14, it says in verse 2, having the Father's name, His Father's name, written on their foreheads. There was a tangible, visible mark that, yes, they were gods. And it wasn't a t-shirt, it wasn't earrings, it wasn't a bumper sticker. God had placed that mark on their foreheads himself. They were marked out not just for God, but by God. And here's the thing, folks. You and I, while we don't wear a mark put on us by God himself, we are marked off as believers in Christ. If you know Jesus as Savior, you are a child of God. And yes, you may wear a church t-shirt, a Christian t-shirt, and all this other stuff. I'll tell you, if you do that, you better make sure your life lines up with that. And I'll say this as pastor of this church. Don't you dare wear a West Concord Baptist Church t-shirt and go do something immoral or unreasonable or stupid. Or a Christian t-shirt of any kind. But here's the thing, most of the time you don't have to, if you're living for Christ and living out this markedness, you don't have to wear Christian jewelry or Christian apparel. A life of righteousness, holiness, and grace is all the mark you and I need. You will rise up and be different, not better, none of us are better, but different than those around you. See, that's what God needed in this holy resistance he needed a group that would say no to the Antichrist, no to the pro false prophet, no to the godless culture, and stand up with the Lamb, marked off by the Lamb, demonstrating their allegiance to Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, we, we, we pledge allegiance to the United States of America. I have no problem doing that either. Again, I am an American. People say, well, then you love your country more than you love Jesus. How can you do that? No, that's not true at all. 
I can love my country and most importantly love Jesus and I love my country because of Jesus. But we get excited about the allegiance to our flag. What about the allegiance to our Savior? We need to say and stand and not just pledge allegiance to Him, but live in allegiance with Him. Because that's what resistance does. So this 144,000 marked off by God, Jewish men, we find out that they were Jewish in chapter 7. We find out that they're mainly men here in the latter part of this chapter as we're going to see. But there are also women standing up for the faith too. And I'll say it, even though our country is a mess right now to a great extent, we, we're still here. Nobody's coming and telling us to stop worshiping. Nobody's standing outside waiting to execute us when we go to our cars. Nobody's going to your home killing you because you're a Christian. No one's telling you you can't go to Walmart and, because you're a Christian. No one's telling you you can't because you're a Christian. And yet we squander that freedom, as Aaron said. Appreciate that, revelation, or that reflection this morning. So these people, these were the godly resistance. They had allegiance to Christ. They stood with him. They were marked off by him. Let's continue to look at them. They sang anthems to Christ. You know, y'all dodged a bullet this morning. I got a call earlier this week, and I thought I was talking to Clarence Frogman Henry on the phone, but it was Mike Brooks. He was sounding pretty bad. <laughs> he said, Pastor, you better be ready to lead some hymns Sunday. Oh, no. Now, I used to do that 100 years ago. But I don't think you wanted to come and see the Mike Farley show this morning. And I can't tell you, I came in thinking, oh, I got to teach Sunday school, lead some hymns. And, I, and then I got in here, and all of a sudden I heard singing. And I walked into those two doors, and there's Mike Brooks up there singing, and I wanted to run up and just hug him to death. God bless you, brother. I appreciate you. You know, I appreciate the music in church. And what I love about our worship team is they keep the focus on Almighty God. They sing songs about God. You know, the music styles might change, but the message must always be the same. I don't get excited and exercised over music styles. I like hymns. I like the contemporary stuff. I just want to praise God. You want to talk about praising God? Go to Psalm 150, man. They beat the drums. They beat the cymbals. They blow the trumpets. They're praising God. And that's going to happen even in this. Look, it says in verse, in, as we continue in verse 2, And I heard a voice from heaven, the voice of many waters, and like the voice of a loud thunder. And I heard the sound that, by the way, that's the voice of God. And we don't see him saying anything specifically, but this this description is, is, is attributed to him elsewhere in the book. And it goes on, it said, it said, and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. This is where people get the idea that all we're going to do in heaven is play harps. I like harp music, but I'm not going to play a harp. There's going to be other stuff going on because heaven's going to be a loud, exciting place. I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, notice this, as it were, a new song. All the Baptists now started tightening up. What? A new song? I'm messing with y'all. I love the story when D.L. Moody, back in the late 1800s, came into the Scottish church to do his, his crusade to preach the gospel, and he brought his music director, Ira Sankey, with him. And Ira Sankey brought in his, he had a portable organ, you know, we think we got all this portable. They had a portable organ back in the late 1800s. And this church was jammed because by this time, Moody was a famous evangelist. And Moody was in there and everybody, they go, oh, Mr. Moody, they were shaking hands with him. And Iris Sankey walks in with his portable organ. The place flipped out. And in five minutes, that entire church was emptied out. Those people screamed and ran. And Moody and Sankey are sitting there looking at each other saying, what's going on? And one of the Scottish ladies, they pulled her and said, ma'am, what, what's the problem? What happened? And she pointed at Sankey and said, he brought in a chest of whistles. Because that's what they thought the organ was, a chest of whistles. And it was an instrument of the devil. The organ. The organ. Times change. 
But I want you to notice these groups gathered, these 144,000 people gathered, and they had not only allegiance to Christ, but notice they had the anthem of Christ. And it was a thunderous song. God evidently chimed in to sing with them. That's a micism. You can take it or leave it, but that's what I gather from the fact that they heard the voice of many waters like a loud thunder. And I heard the sound of the harpists playing their harps. And they sang, as it were, a new song. Now notice this about this song. Before the throne. Before the foreign living creatures and the elders. And no one, look, look at this, no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Not only a new song, but a very special song. So it was a thunderous song. It was a new song. Whenever I read this passage and I read the book of Revelation, one of the pieces of music that always I can hear playing in my head was penned by Handel, the Messiah. When I was in high school, every year we sang Handel's Messiah, believe it or not, in a public high school. I was in the chorus in high school and we sang Handel's Messiah. That was my favorite thing to sing. And even at West Concord in time past, we had a large choir. We sang Hallelujah Chorus. I love the Hallelujah Chorus. As a matter of fact, Handel took the very words for that. As, as a matter of fact, all of the words from Handel's Messiah are taken from Scripture, many of them from the book of Revelation. And it just makes me think of that. And I wonder about this song. It's a song that only this, this one group can hear and understand and learn. You see, because here's the thing about that. When someone takes allegiance to Christ, when someone stands with him, it's, it's a sacrifice. It's, it's something special. There are times that those people are going to gain insight into things. Their souls and their spirits are going to be so moved that the music coming from them isn't going to be understood by the world around them. I mean, even as we're gathered today, there are people driving up and down the highway right out here kind of maybe even laughing at us for taking time out of a Sunday to come and gather and listen to music and hear some guy talk. The things that we Christians do, we pray, we give, we, we, we read our scriptures, we worship. The world looks at us and thinks we're nuts. They don't understand that. They don't get why we do this. And I'll be honest with you, there are some so-called believers who don't get why we do those things either. Let's just be truthful. Paul says the natural man or the natural person is not able to understand the spiritual. This 144,000, this holy resistance is going to be so filled with God's presence. They're going to be so aligned with Christ that they're going to have a song in their heart that no one else can understand. Over and over in the Old Testament, it talks about singing with a new song. Habakkuk, he says, even when things are going bad in Habakkuk chapter 3, he said, I will sing of the Lord. We are not to mimic our culture. We are not to look like our culture. We are not to adopt the things of our culture. Bless God, we are to stand apart from our culture and stand up. It doesn't mean we go off into a mountain or hide in this building. We live in the world. We're among the world. But listen, we're not to be of the world. So they had a new song. It was a thunderous song. And for whatever reason, it was an exclusive song. That these wonderful resistance fighters, spiritual fighters, could sing and they could get it. They can get it. I remember uh, listening to Madeline Murray O'Hare. Any of y'all remember who she was? Some of you do, some of you don't. Back in the 60s, she was the most prominent atheist in American culture. You could say she was responsible almost primarily for running God out of the public schools. And she was just a virile atheist. She, was, she would debate anybody and put them down. But one day she had a moment of weakness. And in a radio interview, she said, you know, at Christmas time, I haven't ever told this to anybody. She said, but at Christmas time, I'll go find a little church where they're singing the Christmas hymns and songs. And she said, I'll go inside and sit in the back row where nobody knows me or sees me. And I'll listen. 
She says, because I love that music. And she says, I love the message of grace and peace. She said, I can't believe it, but I love it. I wonder if God wasn't trying to reach into her heart. But yeah, there are going to be people who don't understand what we do and why we do what we do. And today, if they don't understand you, they call you bigot, homophobe, hater. Because we no longer live in a day of courteous interaction. If you disagree with much in the culture, you are canceled, you are shut down, you are shut up. But as we sing, whether it's a hymn or a contemporary chorus, as we lift up God Almighty, we need to sing those anthems. But this, this group, this holy resistance group, they had a song. It's like back in World War II. They had the Indian code talkers, the Navajo code talkers. And oftentimes they would get Native Americans in the armies and, and in the navies and they would have some civilians whom they would station with the free French and throughout Europe. And they used them because they spoke in their Native American dialect, their tribal language, that the Germans had no way of knowing and understanding what it was all about. But they were able to pass on information and sensitive information they were able to pass messages that way. And it got past the Germans. And I think they even used them in the Asian theater against the Japanese. And they were able, the Germans and Japanese had no idea. They used several different tribes of Native Americans to communicate those messages. People aren't going to understand us, folks. Don't look for it. And in the day when they're going to be singing praises to the culture and the tyranny of the Antichrist, God's people are going to rise up and sing a new song. Amen? So that's their anthem. Their allegiance is to Christ. Their anthem is of Christ. They're singing about Christ. And then finally, we get a little bit more description of this group. We see them, their aspiration to Christ and in Christ. They want to aspire to him. Look what it says as we read their, 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 their description. It says in verse 4, These are the ones who were not defiled with women. Stop. It's not that women are defiling. Okay, people, oh, that sounds terrible. He's not knocking you, ladies. He's basically talking about these men did not engage in immoral, physical, sexual relationship outside of marriage. He, he's just simply saying that. That's their way of communicating that. In other words, these men, as we look at this description, he's going to give several. Let's go on and then we'll take it apart. He says, for they are virgins. They are the, they are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. They were, they, were, they were brought out just at the beginning of this tribulation period. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. This group, this 144,000 men, Jewish men, sealed by God the Father himself, they were described by their purity. They didn't engage in the sexual immorality that will be common more so in the future than even it is now. You know, we've lost that. The church likes to pick on the homosexuals and the LGBT community. We like to spit on them and pick on them, and that's a shame. We shouldn't do that. But at the same time, we don't look in the mirror and see our own sexual immorality going on in the church. People living together and cohabiting together and having sex outside of the holy bonds of wedlock. We ought to be ashamed of our hypocrisy as a church. What set these men apart is they were sexually pure. They were sexually pure, lived for the truth and stood in it. Not only that, but they were loyal to Christ. They stood with him. Wherever the lamb wanted them to go, that's where they would go. Notice it said they followed the lamb wherever he went. Do we do that? Well, if God leads us in a certain direction, I wonder how many times... Me and the 20 pastors before me preached in the pulpit of West Concord Baptist Church. And God called to people in the congregation and called missionaries and called ministers and called teachers and, and called evangelists. And, and, and God was hung up on by those people. Because I'm going to tell you, ministry's tough. It's inconvenient and it's hard. I wonder how many nursery workers, how many student workers, how many senior adult leaders, I wonder how many people could have risen up and taken the load off of other people to do the ministry of God, but they said no. 
Not these people. They went wherever the land told them to go. Purity, loyalty, fidelity. They were faithful to Christ. They were faithful to him as they followed him. They were of the first fruits to him. They, they came out of the initial beginning of this tribulation when God raised them up. They were faithful to God and to the Lamb. Notice this description as we continue on. Purity, loyalty, fidelity, honesty. There was no deceit out of their mouth. They told the truth. Sometimes truth is comforting. Sometimes truth is difficult. They told the truth. And integrity. I love that word integrity because oftentimes we don't think about what it means, but it comes from the root word to an integrate. To integrate. You know, if you bake a cake, you take the components of your recipe, flour, butter, whatever, eggs, sugar, and you integrate them, bring them together to make that cake. And that's what integrity is. It means what you believe or profess to believe and how you live must come together. You and I as believers must live in integrity with our faith. If we say we are Christians, bless God, we'd better live as Christians. Again, going back to Aaron's reflection, we talk about how much we love freedom. Do we love freedom enough to, to, to set aside our own wants to celebrate and help someone else in their freedom? We're not free to live as we want. That's not what it means. That's not what God means. As a matter of fact, Christians in, in the New Testament are referred to as slaves and bondservants to God. Yet Paul spends the book of Galatians speaking of our liberty. We don't understand freedom. But these, these witnesses, this 144,000, these were men of biblical and spiritual integrity. So as we look at these people, we see them. We see their allegiance to Christ. They stand with the Lamb, marked off by the Lamb. We see their anthem, their song, not, not singing the praises of the culture, but it's a thunderous song. It's a new song because it glorifies Almighty God. And it's an exclusive song because the world just can't understand it. Can't understand it. And as they walk with Christ and serve Christ, they demonstrate purity, sexual purity, moral purity, loyalty to Him. Wherever He goes, they go. Even if it's difficult. Fidelity. These are people of faith from the get-go. Honesty. They don't, they don't talk guile. They don't talk junk. Men of integrity. So during that horrible time of tribulation, that last three and a half years, what Daniel calls and Jeremiah calls the time of Jacob's trouble, when literally, as we said all the way back in chapter 9, all hell is going to break loose. You think the church of Jesus Christ is under persecution now? This ain't nothing. Matter of fact, compared to 80% of the other Christians that live in this world today, you and I have nothing. We, we squander our freedom. We waste our freedom. The founding fathers of this nation would be ashamed to look at us at times. We want to celebrate our independence and then go out and live selfish lives of self-absorption instead of lives surrendered to Almighty God. But these were men who are going to come and going to rise up and they're going to be strong, godly. That's the holy resistance that will be needed then in that dark time. But listen, that's the holy resistance we need now. So if there's 144,000 men then, what, in the future, what about now? You and I as believers are the holy resistance today. Now that doesn't mean we rage a physical war or we wage a verbal war on people. It simply means we stand and walk with Christ. We identify with Him. We're, we, we, we have our allegiance to Him. Yes, I'm an American, but here's the thing. I'm a Christian first. Because one day I will be gone from here and I will be in eternity under the King in the kingdom. My allegiance needs to be with Christ. My loyalty needs to be with Him. Go where he tells me to go. Do what he tells me to do. My song needs to be the celebration of my Savior, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The world's not going to understand it. 
world's probably not even going to like it. I have two very poignant words for that. Oh, well. And we need to exercise those characteristics that separate us from the world. Now, again, we're not to live physically separated from them. And let me say this too, as we stand as holy resistors to the demonic culture that is rising up, that doesn't mean we put people down. That doesn't mean we call them names. That doesn't mean we're better than they are. Because I'm going to tell you, I'm no better than those people out there. You and I aren't any better than the drunk, than the drug user, than the racist, than the LGBTQ or the homosexual. You're no better than they are. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Guess what? My name is on that list too. But I am called to be faithful to Christ. And instead of fighting and bickering and arguing and name calling, I am to take up the banner of the cross and bring grace and compassion and love. I love what Michael Brown, professor at Southern Evangelical Seminary and philosopher and writer, he says we need to resist with reach out rather he says it's, it's it's a double thing we need to reach out with compassion but resist with courage our job is not to put people down our job is to lift people up to christ so i ask you this morning i think god has put this in here to challenge us are we going to be the holy resistance today and here's the call to holy resistance paul put it in the book of romans as we finish Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, he says, I beg you, brethren, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. I hear people say, oh, brother Mike, I'd die for Christ. Well, God bless you. Will you live for him? A holy sacrifice, living, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Or a better translation could be a worship, your service of worship. Christianity, Christ sacrificed his all to save us, but now as we live for him, it is our turn to put ourselves on the altar and live for him, no matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. And in some instances, that cost will be persecution, maybe. Some of our brothers and sisters in the last 2,000 years have died for the gospel. And yes, some people in the world today are dying for the gospel. But the church of Jesus Christ is, in America is all about comfort and convenience. God forgive us for that. Paul said, even then, I beg you, sacrifice yourself for Christ. Be willing to offer yourself as a sacrifice to God, a holy sacrifice, different set apart which is acceptable to God because it's reasonable. <laughs> it makes sense. We talk about worship on Sunday morning. This is just where worship starts. We are to go out there and worship Him with our lives. He goes on to say in verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world. Man, that's the most ignored passage in the book of Romans. Did you hear it again? Do not be conformed to this world. I want you to make sure you're here. Read it with me. And do not be conformed to this world. We are not supposed to look like the world, act like the world, join in the world's philosophies, join in the world's desires. We are to be different. We are to be apart. That's what we're supposed to be. He says, notice, not to be conformed to the world, but notice to be transformed. By the renewing of your mind, you've got to think differently. You've got to change your mind. By the way, that's what the word repentance means. Change your mind. People talk about your heart all day. Listen, your heart's going to do what your mind leads it to do. Change your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what the 144,000 resistors, the holy resistors are going to do. That's what we must do. And as we close, I'll finish with one last passage in the book of Acts. This is what the disciples did. In the book of Acts, we see them branching out the church, just being formed. Christianity was a new thing on the earth. The church was a new thing. They were bringing a message that most people were appalled by and insulted by. As a matter of fact, many times the disciples, Peter, James, and John, and others were thrown in prison. And it was in prison that the Holy Spirit of God came to Peter. 
And he said to them in Acts chapter 5 and verse 20, Go, stand, and speak to the people all the words of this life. That's it. That's what the 144,000 will do. We resist as holy resistors by just going. We can't wait for people to come. Oh, we had guests. We got people coming to church. If our church will grow, if people will just come. No, no, no. Nope, 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 nope. We go out. We go out. Yes, we're not of the world, but we're supposed to live in the world because that's how we influence and bring people to Christ. Go. And then when we go, we need to stand. Stand on the truth of God's word, lovingly but firmly. Reach out with compassion, but resist with courage. Stand. For truth. Yep, you're going to lose friends. Yep, you're going to get derided. Yep, you're going to get uh, people mad at you. That's a holy club to be in. And speak. Speak to the people. Speak to the liberals, the progressives. Speak to the Republicans, the Democrats, the conservatives. Gay, straight, trans, black, white, male, female. Speak to them. Poor, rich, speak to them all the words of this life. We celebrate America and its resistance to tyranny. The trouble is we've allowed tyranny to creep back in in our nation in different times and it's creeping back in again. The church of Jesus Christ must be the holy resistance today. We must stand, go, and speak with allegiance to Christ, with an anthem in our hearts, and aspire to be like him. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed as we pray this morning. What a wonderful opportunity to celebrate our nation's birth. Not a perfect nation. We still struggle today with the ideas of freedom and liberty. The idea of all men created equal while not lived out by our nation's Leaders at times still is a great philosophy. But as great as our declaration and constitution are, we have another more important citizenship as believers, and that is our citizenship is in heaven. Our founder is Jesus Christ. Our constitution is the scripture. And frankly, if you want to be a good American, then bless God, be a better Christian. Because that is what is going to change this nation. No politician, no presidential election, no governor, Congress. Stand up and be loving but firm in your faith in Christ. Be different. Be, be uniquely and wonderfully different. Not in a condescending, critical way. But in a way that points to God. We are the holy resistance today. It's us. During a time of great turmoil and hellish tyranny. Why can't we do it today when we're not quite under that? I think God is calling me and you to be what God needs us to be. Yes, it's painful, it's hard, it's inconvenient, it's difficult. And at times it's very, very frightening. But God is on our side. He said in the book of James, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Jesus said at the end of his commission in Matthew, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So God is calling us this morning to stand and surrender to him. I wonder how many of you will do it. And I'm not going to have an aisle invitation on purpose. I don't want anybody coming in here putting on a show this morning. I want to see what we do as we go out. All of you are capable. All of you who know Christ can change this world for eternity starting with your family, your friends, and standing up and saying lovingly but firmly no to anything ungodly. But we also must live godly lives to back that up. If you're here and you don't know Christ, Jesus died to set you free. Just like their soldiers in the Revolutionary War died to set us free. Just like during the Civil War, soldiers died to set the enslaved free. So Jesus died to set you and I free ultimately. He was buried and rose again from the dead and all who come to him owning their sin, confessing their sin and falling on him completely, trusting him by faith. God said, I will save you. 
and give you everlasting life. So this morning, if you don't know Christ, you can know him by trusting him, talking to him, admitting your sin, confessing your sin, and believe on him. Not just in him, but on him. Trust on him. But if you're here and you know Christ, you at your school, at your job, in your family, in your neighborhood, you are an I. If you know Christ, you and I are supposed to be the holy resistance. You and I are supposed to be the forerunners of that 144,000 that will one day stand up in that bleak and horrible time. And if this country is going to change, if this country is going to become united again, back into righteousness and holiness again, it's not going to, it's not going to happen in the White House. It's going to happen in your house. Let's stand as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the country again that we live in. I thank you, Lord, that I can stand here and preach and pray and no one is carrying me away. I thank you that I can own a Bible, several Bibles. I thank you that I can still talk about Christ. I thank you for the men and women who died in our nation's wars and military fighting to give us that freedom. I thank you for founding fathers who had the ideal of, of freedom and liberty drawn from Judeo-Christian teaching. Father, forgive us as a nation. We've not always lived up to that, and many have not been able to appreciate that in our country. But Father, may that change start here. May that start at West Concord Baptist Church. Because, Father, you've started big things with small groups. Help us to be the holy resistance. Help us to reach out with love and compassion. But help us also to resist with courage and allegiance to you. I pray that you'll work in every heart and mind in this congregation and those who are watching online. I pray that you'll start with me. And Father, I pray that you'll do something grand and great and get the glory for it. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.